The title of this sermon is No Do Not Fear. Again, as Tim mentioned, we'll be covering chapter 42 and 43 of the book of Isaiah. So to our guest, thank you once again for live streaming with us. My hope and my prayer for you is that you will be challenged, but also encouraged by the word of God. And to Trinity, thank you also for live streaming with us this morning. Please note that this sermon will only cover the major themes of these two chapters. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask for your help now. We ask for your divine illumination. We ask that you would take away every distraction, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear your word. Father, address us where we are specifically, individually, as families. Lord, we need to hear from you. We are desperate to hear from you, from your word during this pandemic season. We thank you that you are at work to redeem and restore all that's been affected. And we praise you for sending your son, Jesus, to bring justice in all the earth and to comfort those who are hurting. We ask you to bless the preaching of your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, in chapters 41 through 43, the Lord says, Fear not to Israel, his people, and to us today. For the remnant of Israel in Babylon captivity, perhaps there were many fears. There was the fear of the long journey back home to Jerusalem. There was the fear of safety from the attacks of the enemies while they rebuilt the temple of God in Jerusalem. What about you, church, this morning? Can you relate to fear? Do you fear for many things in this long journey called life? Do you fear that you've messed up so bad that God will not rescue you or redeem you from the mess that you have created? We have fear at times because we feel helpless, like Jerry. We fear because we don't have the strength to do what needs to be done. We fear sometimes that we have fallen out of grace because of sin. We fear at times because we begin to believe the lie that God cannot deliver us from our present circumstances. And we fear at times because we feel alone. In chapters 42 and 43, even in the midst of our failures, regardless of what we have done, God is going to comfort us. God is going to console us. God is going to assure us that he loves us and that he is with us. The good news for us is that God is infinitely greater and bigger than a big mouse. Trinity, here's the main burden of the sermon. 
Fear not, for our God is with us, and he is our redeemer and savior. Today, God reminds us to fear not because he has sent Jesus Christ to accomplish his plan of redemption by bringing justice in all the earth. In chapters 41 through 43, we see see three servants of God. In fact, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9, is the first of four servant songs. The first servant is a human king, King Cyrus. We saw this in 41, verses 1 through 7. And God used King Cyrus to free Israel from the bondage and oppression of the foreign country, Babylon. The second servant, the second servant is a person. This person points to a messianic figure. The third servant is a people, which is the nation of Israel. And this morning, we're going to focus on the last two servants. Would you look with me again at chapter 42, verses 1 through 4? It says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. And so to console and comfort Israel in captivity, God unfolded this beautiful plan by employing this somewhat left unknown servant. But what we know is God has put a spirit on this servant and he will bring forth justice in all the earth by restoring God's divine order. The text says that he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, that he will not go faint or discouraged until he fully establishes justice in all the earth. For this servant to bring justice in all the earth, it will take divine power. And so who is this unknown servant? The identity of this servant is debated, and most modern commentaries give a list of options. Is this servant the nation of Israel fulfilling the role of this so-called unknown servant? But Israel could not have filled this role because in their post-excelic state, they did not, they could not live up to the hope expressed in these verses. However, the New Testament author Matthew quotes this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Matthew says this after Jesus healed the man with a withered hand. Listen to this. Jesus 
aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, which is our text this morning. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Not only is Jesus the one who fulfilled the role of this servant, bringing justice in all the earth, but he also came to console and care with compassion for his people. A Bruce Reed, he will not break. A, a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. Let me ask you this. Do you feel bruised by all the hardships of life lately? Do you feel like you're barely making it? Do you feel like you're a faintly burning wick? Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, take heart. Jesus not only came to bring full justice in all the earth, but he also came with compassion to those who are not doing so well. If you are feeling like a Bruce Reed, take heart. He is not going to allow you to break. If you are feeling like a faintly burning wick, just barely making it, then he will not allow you to be quenched. Why? Because look with me at chapter 43, verse 4. Are you there? Here's why. Because you are precious in his eyes. Because you are honored and that he loves you. That's why. Jesus not only came to bring justice and bestow compassion upon his people, he also came to give sight to this blind world and liberty to this imprisoned world. Verses five through nine tells us that this servant will open the eyes that are blind and bring out the prisoners who sit in darkness. Isaiah also prophesied this, this, this parallel verse that we find in chapter 61 verses one through three. This is a parallel verse. It says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to which Luke 4, Jesus quotes this very verse and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled. The coming of this servant fulfilled in Jesus has brought sight and liberty to us because we were at one time blind to our sin and we were imprisoned by our sin. 
the glorious gospel tells us that Jesus just didn't come to renovate us, but he also came to transform us. Melinda and I are embarking upon a journey, and this journey has to do with renovating both of our showers in our home. Our house is 24 years old, and so you get the picture. We have stains on our grout lines that can't be removed. We have probably some cracked tiles that water is seeping, water is seeping into. We have stains on the bathtub and rust that we can't remove. And so what we plan on doing is gutting both bathrooms all the way down to concrete and studs. The goal is not just to demolish the old stuff, but to transform both bathrooms with new stuff. Listen, church, when we came to Saving Faith, God opened our blind eyes to see our sin and our need of his forgiveness. And he released us from the prison and darkness of our sin. But he also took away our hardened hearts, our stone, our heart of stone, and gave us a new heart and a new spirit. Mark 2 also tells us that Jesus came to heal the sick and to forgive sinners. Listen, if you are not a believer this morning, if you consider yourself a person who does not believe in Jesus Christ, if you've not accepted him as the Lord and Savior of your life, then you are the sick and you are the imprisoned. And your sickness is fatal. The name of your sickness is sin, which brings forth grief and sorrow and pain. It brings physical death, it brings spiritual death, and it brings separation from a holy and loving God. And you are right now imprisoned by the darkness of sin that your actions have brought And you probably wish that you could feel more alive and free. The good news is there is life and freedom, but it can only be found in Jesus Christ who came to this earth to die the death that you deserve and to earn the forgiveness that you don't deserve. There is only one way that you can be healed and freed. Repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, the Lord of your life and the Savior of your life. And the forgiveness that he freely offers is yours and you can experience a true renovation and transformation of your life. You will receive a new heart and a new spirit and you will be made new. The old self is gone and you can have a new start and you can have a new beginning with Jesus by your side. If you're watching this live stream, then fear not for God desires to be with you and he is the redeemer and the savior of lost souls. What is the proper response for this restoration? 
The text says, Israel should sing to the Lord. The people of Kedar and Selah, meaning the far reaches of the world, should shout from the mountaintops. The whole earth should sing to the Lord. Israel should sing for joy. Why? Because the Lord was on the move like a mighty warrior, and he will show himself mighty against his enemies. We should sing to the Lord a new song as well, church. Why? Because he has already defeated our enemy, sin, death, and Satan. Immediately after this command to sing, God foretells the future deliverance. While Israel was in captivity, the Lord remained silent, but he didn't abandon them. Now the Lord will cry out like a woman in labor. He will make a way home for his people, for, for he will lead blind Israel, and he will shine light in their darkened paths. The Lord foretold this future deliverance so that Israel could see and know and understand that it is the Lord who has done this. Trinity, do you know? Do you understand all that the Lord has done for you? Verse 17 says, but for those who put their trust in carved idols and say, you are our gods, they will be put to shame. What about you, church? Do you believe that God can deliver you from your difficult circumstances? Do you believe that he will deliver you from your present suffering Here's the truth of the matter is sometimes deliverance will not come if that is the will of the Lord. But here's the grace of the Lord. He will grant you grace so that you will be able to make it through it. Or are you believing that your current circumstances are much too great than God to deliver you from? Are you trusting in the idols of your heart. This past Wednesday night in community group, we were talking about uh, worships of idols and, and some were confessing about their worship of themselves, trusting in themselves as opposed to trusting in God. And I didn't even get a chance to, to confess myself, but I struggle with the same thing. My idol is myself. Sometimes, out of the middle of nowhere, a dark cloud just descends upon me. Then I begin to despair about my future. And the reason why I begin to despair about my future is because I'm solely depending on myself. And I despair because I lack the ability and the resources to make things happen for the future. When I make myself the Lord of my life, then the text says, as an idol, that I will be put to shame. Why? Because it's simply foolish. It's foolish. Why? 
Because, because I can't control the future. I don't have the power or the resources to make the changes that I feel like I need to make and to happen. But the moment that I remind myself and, and to, to trust in the Lord because he is greater than my circumstances, immediately despair and sadness goes away. Church, let's forsake our idols and let's put our complete trust in God for our future. Let us not fear for God is with us and he is our redeemer and he is our savior. Because Israel was blind and deaf to the things of God, God brought down judgment upon them. God chose Israel to be his servant, to bring good news to all the nations, but they hardened their hearts in their sin. Verse 20 says this, he sees, he speaking of Israel, it's, he, Israel is personified as a person. He sees many things, but he does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Does this remind you of anything? It, it should remind the readers of the original readers of this, this, this book of Isaiah 6, when God was, was installing Isaiah as a prophet to the nation of Israel. God told Isaiah that, that Israel would keep on hearing, but would not understand. That they would keep on seeing, but would not perceive. And now the very thing has happened. God gave Israel his law to reveal his righteousness, but Israel turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to his glorious law. Therefore, God gave them up to be looted and plundered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The C part of verse 22 says that they have become plunder with none to rescue. They have become, become spoiled with none to say restore. Now, be, before we look down on the Israel nation, act, uh, Isaiah 42 acts as a mirror for us this morning. What do you see when you look into the mirror. When you stand in front of the mirror, what do you see when you look into the mirror? Church, I believe God is reminding us today that we are just like the Israelite people. But are you humble enough to admit that? Has God ever shown you clearly to stop doing this or to start doing this? And when God is clearly done this in your heart and in your mind and in your soul? Have you ever turned a blind eye to him and turned a deaf ear toward him? I have. And it's no wonder I get into the mess that I get into. When Israel responded in this way, it says in verse 25 that God poured out on, on, on them his heat of anger. And the might of his battle. My church. Can you say with me, praise God that we don't live in the Old Testament times and that we live in the church age. 
When we turn a blind eye and turn a deaf ear to him, praise God that he doesn't cause us to be, to be uh, destroyed and exiled. But we do experience strife and conflict and bitterness and strained relationships. When God shows me that I am being selfish and prideful, not loving, honoring, cherishing, nourishing Melinda, and I turn a blind eye to him and a deaf ear to him, I bring conflict and pain and sorrow and tears into our marriage. Sin brings grief and sorrow into our lives. So what do we do? We stop it. We stop it. We repent. We throw ourselves at God's mercy and confess our mess and ask him for his loving help and empowerment of his Holy Spirit that is indwelling within us. And we obey him by the enablement, the divine enablement of the Holy Spirit. He is our hope, church. Responding in this way brings glory to God and good in our lives. Now, chapter 43 is about Israel, this sinful nation, Israel's sin, and God's redemptive acts. What an amazing, amazing chapter as well. Look with me at verse one. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Verse 1 begins with the word but, signaling a change. Even though Israel had turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to God with no one to rescue, he tells them, fear not, for he has redeemed them. What glorious news this might have been to the Israelite in exile. Church, this is also glorious news for us today. Even though we can still be rebellious and disobedient, our sin does not define who we are in God. By grace, we are defined by who God is. He is our creator. We are his children. Therefore, we belong to him. God is the redeemer and we are the redeemed. As Christians, we are saved because God is our savior. Why did he do this? Why did he save us? Because we are precious in his side and we are honored by him. And because he simply says, I love you. Verse three says, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy one of Israel, your savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. The prophet Isaiah employs the language of ransom to communicate God's plan of redemption. 
God gave Egypt as a ransom to the Persians and exchanged Cush and Seba for Israel. God redeemed Israel, his people from Babylon. When you read this text, this section, the waters, the rivers, and the fires represent the obstacles that Israel would have had to go through, which bears resemblance to the first Exodus in Exodus chapter 14. But now, soon, they will go through a new Exodus because God will will once again deliver his people from the bondage and oppression of a foreign nation. Today, we have also experienced an exodus, but our exodus was far greater than than, than that of Israel because God delivered us from the bondage of sin and the oppression of Satan. When God ransomed us, he didn't just give up to Satan two or three nations. In fact, he didn't give up anything to Satan like he did for Israel. Well, the text doesn't say that. Let me, let me retract that. It says that he gave those nations as a ransom for Babylon or for, for the Persians to free his people, Israel. What God gave as a ransom because of his demands for the sacrificial system that Sin must be paid for by a sacrifice that leads to death is none and nothing less than his only beloved son. God didn't hold back anything when it came to ransom us. He gave it all. He gave his precious son, Jesus Listen, when we were still spiritually weak, when we were still spiritually blind, when we were still spiritually deaf, God sent forth his son, Jesus, and he died for the ungodly. Church, when God said, I love you, he showed his love in that we will, when, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still his enemies, God reconciled us to himself by the death of his son on the cross, Romans 5. Church, praise God that his redemptive plan was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Listen, it doesn't matter how bad you messed up in your sin. Fear not. For God has redeemed you. He is your savior and he has called you by name and you are his. There is forgiveness for every sin, but this doesn't mean that we should sin all the more. No, that's not living in the good of the gospel. We don't wallow. We don't continue to wallow in sin. Listen, God's grace of forgiveness is our motivation or should motivate us into a life of holiness. Verses 14 through 17 tells us that God promised that he will bring Babylon to an end and that they will be quenched like a wick. Today, God also promised that our Babylon, Satan, will be brought to an end. 
in Revelation 20, Satan will be thrown into the lick of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets will be, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What's amazing is God planned redemption for Israel, even though they remained hard hearted. This is amazing. Look with me at verses 22 through 24. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been, but you have, you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Bible scholars differ on the interpretation of verses 22 through 24. Some would say that Israel didn't have the opportunity to bring sacrifices and offerings to the Lord in captivity because they had no altars to do so. Other Bible commentators would say that they did perform the rituals and the offerings and sacrifices, but hypocritically. I like how John Oswell put it in his commentary of these verses, and I quote, If the ritual had been done correctly, then no sins and iniquities remained. But Isaiah's point is that the carefully performed rituals had been done as though not done at all. Why? Because they had, they had not reflected genuine submission and real change, changes of heart. Thus, the rituals themselves were sinful and iniquitous. Here's my words. Here's how, here's how I would interpret that. If Israel did offer up the sacrifices and the offerings, then they did it without repentance and obedience to change. Listen, not that God's love and grace and mercy can be, can be manipulated, not that, it, not, that, not that it depended upon the people's performance. God can't be manipulated. But the purpose of the sacrificial system was to remove sin. Perhaps you've managed to worship God in prayer and in the reading of his word and in song and in your giving and in the preaching of God's word in the midst of this pandemic season. But your heart remains far from God. Your worship is at best just going through the motions you have not confessed your sin and you have not repented of them and you continue in them. Isaiah would say this is false worship and it can be a burdensome task and it can weary our God, it says. Unless we deal with our sin at the foot of the cross by confessing them and asking God for divine strength to repent from them, the cycle of our specific sins will continue over and over and over and over. 
And if this is true of Israel, and if this is true of you and me, then how can God offer hope and assurance to Israel and to us today? Can you look with me at verse 25? He says this, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The answer is found not in what we do, but what, what God does, but who God is. Who God is, who God is defines what he does. Our God is merciful and full of forgiveness and love and understanding and compassion and patience. He is full of grace. Listen to this church. He is a God who, who covers over all of our sin, past, present, and future. He is a God who chooses to forget all of our sins. He chooses to forget all of our sins, not just for this instant or tomorrow or the next day, but he chooses to forget all of our sins throughout eternity. Listen, there is no amount of money and there is no amount of good works that we can give to earn or deserve his forgiveness. He blots out all of our sin and remembers them no more for his own sake. Ah, but Satan, the accuser of the brethren, will bring up to you and to me and to God all of the sin that we have committed and all of the sin that we will commit. It is as if we can imagine all the cameras that were present in all the times that we have sinned and, and Satan presents the video record of all of our sins before God, before you, and before me. Do you know what God's response will be? What sin? All I see is Christ's righteousness. Oh, church, our redemption is not about us and what we can do to earn salvation. It's all about what God has done through Jesus Christ. This is why we ought to worship him. This is why he is worthy of praise in all the earth. But our natural tendency is to work to earn our salvation, isn't it? We want to be able to say, God, I did this and I did that. And so therefore I deserve your forgiveness. Isaiah addresses this natural inclination of our hearts in the last section of chapter 43. In conclusion, worship team, please join me at the platform. If we choose the route of self atonement or self-justification or a works-based salvation, then God invites us to present our case. This is courtroom or legal speak. God says, let us argue together. God wants us to present our case so that we can be proved right. 
if we want our justification to be based on our good works, then all he has to do is present exhibit A, our origin. For Israel, their father Jacob was a sinful man and their priest in their temples sinned against God. Therefore, God delivered them to utter destruction and by his grace, he saved a few, the remnant. For us today, our origin is wrought with sin. If we really don't want justice based, or if we really don't want justice based on our good works, or if we want justice based on our good works, we are doomed for ultimate destruction because our good works will never be enough, church. Our sin, no matter the amount of good works we do, deserves ultimate destruction. The wages of our sin is death. If there is going to be any deliverance from utter destruction, then it will have to be at, the, at, at God's expense. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our deliverance must be based on God's pure grace, love, and mercy. So let's praise God uh, for Jesus Christ who accomplished our redemption for us. Would you stand with me and let us praise God in song? <laughs>